Last night we talked about the idea of dwelling in the secret place. And very simply, the idea of making a habit that we, that it, it's not a place like, oh yeah, that corner of the house, although it can be that. That we, we have a place where, where we daily get with the Lord and we pour out whatever's going on in life. Whatever it is that's going on in life. Lord, this is so awesome. I can't believe how wonderful this is. Or, Lord, this is terrible. I hate this stuff. Or whatever in between. And we pour that out to the Lord. And we listen to God as he would speak into our situation. Now, um, you know there's, there's certain people that have very distinct voices. Right? Like you you know their voice. You hear your I know their voice. Like we were... We were talking about you being in, in at a pastor's conference in California, and you heard Joe Bush's voice. It's like, I know that voice. <laughs> Nobody says God the way he says God. <laughs> I know that voice, right? And so it's distinct. Like, you know, there's there's certain um, actors or whatever, like Bill Murray. <laughs> like, oh, that's Bill Murray. No one else sounds like that. It's almost not human. And, and so, right? So listen, God has a very distinct voice. His voice sounds like his word. Okay? His voice sounds like his word. Most often when you're sitting trying to determine, like, I'm in this struggle, I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do, and you're pouring that out to the Lord. God wants to speak to you, and so often he's, he's going to speak just his word. It'll be a Bible story and a character, and you'll think about that and the parallel with what you're going on. It's like, or, Lord, I, I'm in this situation, and while the exact parameters of my situation are not found in your word, your word does address the anger that I have right now. Or your word does address the, the self-doubt that I have right now. Or your word does address the conflict that I'm facing. And so God's voice sounds like his word. So as you, you know, as we leave here, um, you know, like I think there's something the Lord wants all of us to to establish, or to reestablish, or to continue in, and that is that we dwell in the secret place. Like, this is where I go to get a little bit more. Um, at our house, uh, we have what we call the devotion chairs. And our kids, they would come down, and when they came down in the morning, they would always find their mom and dad sitting in the devotion chairs. There were these two seats, leaning up against this one wall, or the table between, and if I was looking, if I'd say, oh, guys, I forgot my phone, where is it? It's by the devotion chairs. Like, that's a spot in the house. The kids all knew it. Um, we, we just remodeled the house, and we removed that wall. And the kids were like, oh, no. <laughs> so, but the lady's like, oh, the devotion chairs went from there to there. They're like six feet farther down the wall. They're still there. The kids are okay. <laughs> They're worried about mom and dad. So, but you get, like, this is a place. Now, um, seasons of life change, and as seasons of life change, we have to re, um, we have to adapt. How do we have a secret place with the Lord when the seasons of life change? Right, your life's different right now. Like if you, you know, I've talked to a lot of you guys, and you're you're finishing up university, right? Well, university life was different than high school life, right? And you had to adapt. You had to figure out, okay, how do I have time with the Lord as a university student? A lot of you guys have. Finished or just finishing university life and going into like workplace life. That's different, isn't it? Okay. Some of you have transitioned into family life, right? Like you're now married.
I, I heard that I heard that the young adult group had a baby. It's <laughs> <laughs> true, right? Yeah. Like, like all of you are going, yeah. <laughs> Grace, is that the right name? Yeah. Okay, so like young adults have a baby. So that couple in the in your group, they they're adapting to a new season of life, right? And in that season, it's like, okay, how do I have a secret place? It's we're adapting to that. So I think like we leave here and we can say, what did the Lord speak to us? You guys went away and watched deer get their skin stripped off as you were walking to Bible study. How did the Lord speak to you? You go, well, I know what God told us. God told us that we need to have a secret place. And that secret place is where all anything that's in life, everything that's in life, everything goes to the Lord, and I listen, and there God speaks to me, and His His voice sounds The second thing we talked about was was that idea of how God's not done in the world, right? He's not done. And um, there, uh, time management, I'm not super good at it. So um, there are two parallel truths that are happening as we're moving closer to the time of Christ's return. Okay? One, one of the parallel truths is that the world is winding down. There's a lot, like the biblical scenario of what the world will look like at the time of the rapture of the church and through the great tribulation, there's a lot of really weird stuff that has to happen in the world for that to unfold, right? So when you look and you go, wow, 2020 was super weird, we go, it's gotta get weird. <laughs> so one, one thing is like the world's winding down. And so there's a, both like, like you could say in the, in the, um, in the unbelieving part of the world, there's also, but even within the church, there's, there's things that are described in scripture as to what the world's gonna look like. But there's another paralleling truth, and that is this idea. Jesus said that the gospel of this kingdom must pre be preached to the whole world, and then the end will come, right? There's a, there's a reality that there is a work of God that's paralleling the work that's going on. And so what we have to look at, we go, okay, I know things are winding down. Things are going to get, as closer and closer we get to the time of the return of Jesus, things are going to get weird, they're going to get dark, they're going to get confusing. They're, it's like, Ungodliness on the rise, but there's a parallel truth. God's not done. Okay? And God is continuing to want to work in the world, and God wants us to participate in that work. And in order to participate in that work, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. So we know, like, what how does God speak to us? What did you know? You were at the you were at camp and you were playing volleyball, you were risking your life <laughs> on the volleyball court, right? And you know, there were a couple of, I was watching. Okay? And I have to say, like, if there is ever a giant competition between calories and volleyballs, then you guys are going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, the intensity level is like, hey, you're going to be okay. <laughs> I saw one guy, I'm not going to point him out. I saw him take a swing, almost knock somebody over. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, right? But, you know, but what did the Lord speak? Well, the Lord spoke to me that he wants to continue the work that he wants to do in the world. He wants me to participate in it. And he wants to empower me by his spirit to do it. So, God, like we know that. Okay? So, so that, that's kind of what we've, we've touched on so far. So we're going to look at one other text in our time together. Um, in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1.
And I, I thought since we looked at the, the start of the church in Ephesus this morning, I thought we'd look at kind of a follow-up with the church, right? So Paul was there, he met these 12 guys, he prayed with them to receive the Holy Spirit, he started teaching the Word of God in the synagogue, and then they went to the school, they spent 3,000 hours in the Word together, the church grew and developed and started impacting the communities around them, so there's this great work happening, but we get some follow-up with the church in Ephesus. And part of that follow-up is a letter that Paul writes to them. And Paul has, it, it's really interesting because um, Paul knew the Ephesian believers better than he knew any of the other churches that he wrote to. He spent three and a half years with them. So he knew these guys. And yet the book of Ephesians is the least personal of the books that he wrote. And it might have been because if Paul started to tell them a story, they go, I heard that story, Paul. So I can know it. Or it might have been just the health of that church because they were filled with the Spirit and they were so um, deeply rooted in the Word that Paul was able to. There wasn't a lot of, of conflict to deal with. So he just he just talks to them about the things of the Lord. And one of the things he does, he does it twice in the letter, and that is he prays for them. Now, prayer is the place where we express sort of our deepest desires, right? I mean, there's there's things, I, I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but there are things that you tell the Lord that you haven't even told your spouse, right? I mean, that's the, that's, that's the place, that's our most intimate place. I don't, again, I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but that's the number one. The most intimate place that we have is the secret place, the place where we're praying. And what Paul does is he's writing to the Ephesians and he says, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on something. I'm going to let you in on my secret place. I'm going to let you listen in to the things that when I go before the throne of God for you, these are the things that, that I talk to God about. And so he talks to him about this. And so we're going to look at, there's two prayers. We'll look at one of them and we're going to only highlight on a couple of thoughts. It starts in verse 15 of chapter 1. And Paul says, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So Paul says, that's not, I heard of your faith, you made a decision for Christ. I see your love for the saints, so there's evidence of your growth in Christ. And so Paul says, I've been praying for you. Verse 17, he says, here's his prayer, that... The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Okay? He says, I want you to know God. So let me ask you a question. Will these students of the Bible together? Do these guys know God? Yeah, he says, you have people faith in um, Are they growing in their relationship with God? Yeah, they're loving the saints. Like he's, and they're hearing about it. He says, he said, I heard of your faith. You know, faith makes noise. <coughs> right? What's that noise? Oh, that's faith. Okay? What noise does it make? Well, James tells us it makes the sound of works, right? So these guys, they, they know God. They're, they're, they're demonstrating their relationship with God. And yet he prays for them that the God of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The word here for knowledge it's it's the word um, it's the word gnosis that um, the, uh, the 
Greek word gnosko. You've heard that word? How many have heard that word? Okay, it's the, it's the word for like experiential knowledge, the difference between like just knowing about something. But this has a prefix, and the prefix is epi. The word is epignosis. Epi means above and beyond. So here's what he's praying. He's praying, I know you guys know the Lord. I know you've experienced him. I know you've had an encounter with him. But here's what I'm praying. I'm praying you know him better. I'm praying you get to know him more. Um, there's, a, there's a passage. It's, it's in uh, Exodus 33, I think. Um, there's a passage where Moses says, God, will you show me your glory? Remember that passage? That's the passage where, where God says to Moses, okay, Moses, come up here. You can't see my face, but hide behind this rock, and I'll pass by. And when I pass by, I'll tell you what I'm like. So God passes by, and he says, I'm the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious and long-suffering. And, and so he just declares who he is to Moses. And it's always struck me because that's Exodus 33. Moses already saw God at a burning bush, right? How many of you have met God at a burning bush? Okay. You were like, that bush is on fire. You walked up and it started talking to you. Right there, so he too won't admit that. <laughs> like, if that did happen to you, you wouldn't admit it publicly. So, you know, then, then he has a stick in his hand and he throws the stick on the ground and it turns into a snake. Right? How many of you have done so? Right? <laughs> then he, later he takes that same stick and he waves it over the country and all these locusts come in and only devour the land of the Egyptians. Okay? Then he takes that same stick and he walks and he puts it on the water and a sea parts, right? Goes across the sea. Like, and he holds this stick up and as long as he holds the stick up, then the, the Amalekites who are attacking Israel are defeated and the, if he puts the stick down, they lose. If he holds the stick up, the Israel wins, right? He's like, don't like that guy. Like that guy. So, <laughs> 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 I hold it up for you, bro. <laughs> but, uh, but you get, you get like, in all these things, and you go, Moses, you've experienced crazy things about God's glory. And yet, what Moses says, he says, God, I want to see your glory. I want to know you more. Like, I'm not, I know you, but I know I don't know enough of you. I want to know you more. That's what Paul's praying. He's praying, listen, yeah, you've encountered the Lord. You've experienced the Lord. You've had, you've had these these times in your life where God spoke to you. You've had times in your life where God used you. You've had times in your life where you ventured out. He says, my prayer for you is that you know God more. There just be a deeper understanding of God. That would be your desire. Keep reading. Because he goes on. He's got specific ways he wants them to, to know God better. He says that uh, they give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. Verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you would know what is the hope of his calling. That you would know what is the hope of his calling. So, I'm going to say it again. That you would know what is the hope of his calling. So, what, is, what, is, what does Paul want them to know about God? I'll say it again. That you would know the hope of his calling. What does Paul want them to know about God? Dude, you guys are killing it. Yeah. <laughs> like he says, there's something like you you know God, you're experiencing God, you're growing in God, but I'm praying that you would know more of it. And here's what I want you to know: the hope of his calling. Paul 
apparently, Paul believes that there is something that we might refer to as the call of God on our lives. Paul kind of believes that, right? He believes that God actually has a call on our lives. Now, if we if we look through Scripture, we'll, we'll see that, that that call might it might not be like one call. It might might be um, that call that. God might pester us a little bit with calls. He might call often. It might be a frequent call. Um, let me put it like this. We see in Scripture something that we might call, might refer to as the call of God to salvation. Right? There's a call. The word here for call is a word that, that just carries the idea of like an invitation. And so there is a, a call that God gives, or an invitation that God gives, inviting us to come and to, and to trust Christ in order that our sins could be forgiven and we could be restored to God. Now, there's a couple things I think that are important to recognize about that call. Number one is that call goes out to everybody. That call goes out to everybody. For God so loved who? The world. Okay? There's no way to make that a smaller category than what Jesus said. God loves the world. Paul said... God does, um, it's God's desire, God desires all men everywhere to be saved. There's a call of God that God gives out to all of humanity. God's saying, I'm inviting you into relationship with me through faith in my son. The second thing we note about this call, and, and so let me pause, that means that that call's gone out to you. Right? So God loves you, Jesus died for you, and God wants you to know him personally and be in a relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. There's a call that goes out to each of us. The second thing I want you to notice about this call is that this call puts a responsibility upon us to answer. Right? I mean, think about it. It doesn't work here, praise the Lord. But, like, if you're in church and your phone goes off in church, anybody ever had their phone go off in church? You forgot to push the silent button, right? Your phone is off in church. And is it is it embarrassing? Do you wish, like, oh, I wish I was somebody else. <laughs> it's embarrassing. But listen, this first thing you do is try to silence it as quickly as you can, right? But then how long does it sit there before you're forced to look and see who it was? Right? As soon as you feel like the eyes are off of you, you're like... <laughs> Just recently, my phone went off in church. It didn't, it didn't go off. I had it on silent, but I was teaching. Okay? And my phone went off. It was next to me in the pulpit. but I had it there because I had a couple of verses I wanted to refer to. It went off. It was Pete. He <laughs> <laughs> sent me a corny video. <laughs> I made some comment about a whip. And so he sent me this little, this little video of Devo. With it, with it, good. I will admit that it goes both ways. So, <laughs> but listen, like there's there's a reality when, when our phone buzzes, we feel an obligation to to, to look at it, don't we? A, listen, God gives a call to us, and that call demands from us a response. Right? Jesus told this wonderful story about uh, a king um, who was having a feast, and he invited all these people to come to the feast. 
and, and a, the, the initial, those that initially received the invitation rejected. And so he told his servants to go out and invite everybody that they could find. And those that responded favorably, those who rejected, were told, were counted, or, or, or found unworthy, because they rejected. Those who responded were welcomed into the peace. And so there's a call of God in our life for salvation, and that call demands a response, and that response is simply faith in Christ. And when that happens, we're brought into relationship with God. The third thing we notice about this call to salvation is something I think is it's, it's illustrated really well in the very first call that we see in Scripture, and that's the call of Abraham. Right? Abraham's story is very interesting. Um, the you know God has had well the world has spiraled downhill, idolatry has sort of filled the whole world, and God wants to do a work in the world, and so God finds a man in living in Babylon who is part of an idol-worshipping family. Joshua tells us that Abraham's parents were idol-worshippers. Like that's, that's what he grew up in. And God's looking out at the whole world, and God loves the whole world, right? Is that what the Bible tells us? God loves the whole world. God wants to reach the whole world. And so God finds the son of idol-worshippers, who was clearly an idol-worshipper himself, and God calls this guy to himself. And, and that's the birthing of what will become the nation of Israel, right? And Paul tells us that, that God preached the gospel to Abraham. And he told him, Abraham, I'm going to uh, give you descendants as the stars of the heavens. I'm going to make a nation from you. I'm going to give you a land. And then he says, this is the gospel part. And um, uh, all those that bless you, you'll be a blessing to you. And all those that curse will be cursed. It says, you're going to be a blessing to all nations. Abraham was not called at the exclusion of the rest of the world. It's not because God didn't love the rest of the world that he called Abraham. He called Abraham because he loved the rest of the world. Does that make sense? Like God's looking at the whole world. He goes, I love all of humanity, so what am I going to do? I'm going to choose Abraham. I'm going to make a nation, and the light of the gospel, the glory of God, is supposed to shine into the world from this nation. It's his love for humanity that causes him to choose Abraham. You're in my call. It's, it's not because it's like, well, God doesn't care about somebody else. He called you. He called you because he cares about other people. You were saved so that the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ could shine everywhere that you go. Like your workplace. Your workplace. How in the world is the gospel going to get into your workplace? Oh, super awesome. God's going to call you. <laughs> You're the same. You know, like for many of you guys, like how did the gospel get into your family? You got saved. Pete, Pete, Pete got saved. He didn't grow up in a Christian home. Pete got saved. And then over the gospel came into his family. And his mom gave her life to Christ. Later his dad gave his life to Christ. Still praying for his brother to give his life to Christ. Jen. Jen's mom gave her life to Christ. Jen's dad gave his life to Christ. Like, this incredible thing. How did the gospel get into that family? Well, God loved that family, so what did he do? We called Pete, we called Jen, they brought the gospel into the family. Does that make sense? Like, that's, that's the call of salvation. And so when he says here, hey, I want you to know the hope that you're calling. God has called you. He wants you to spend eternity with him. And when you respond in faith to Jesus Christ, and you embrace the free gift of eternal life, 
God's called you because he loves the whole world. And he wants your life now to be the light of the gospel, the glory of Jesus Christ to others. The call of God. Now, the call of God is broader than your call of salvation, right? It goes beyond that. Um, in, in, uh, I think you guys were, uh, were you just started first Peter, you were studying Peter. I don't know how much of this is a sort of a, a um, recap, um, but Peter's story, there's a call of salvation. Later, there's a call kind of a, of surrender, right? I mean, Peter has that first encounter with the Lord, and then later there's that call to surrender. And so Peter, um, we're told that he left his nets and he started following Jesus. It wasn't the first time he heard of Jesus, but the first time he believed in Jesus. But there was a call like of, of, of man, I trust the Lord. I believed in him, but it's now I'm committing myself fully to him. And you know, I, I think that probably for, for many of you that you're here because you're responding to that call. You say, I want to be further committed to you. I, I it's not a, it's not just I want to be saved and want to go to go to heaven but it's like i want to i want to commit everything to jesus and surrender your life to him um and then in in peter there's a further call where jesus goes up on, up in the mountain he comes back down the next morning and there's and there's a, a um, an unknown number of disciples that are in the crowd a disciple is someone who has embraced the person of jesus has embraced the way of Jesus, has embraced the worldview of Jesus. Hey, they're just saying, like, I'm a follower of Jesus. And then from those disciples, Jesus hand selected 12 men that he called apostles, right? It was a further call on Peter's life. Now, imagine being there, and imagine like you're standing there and Jesus is like, who knows what that was like, right? Um, did, did the chosen do that scene yet? You see that movie that, that showed the chosen? Did they do the scene where they chose the apostles? I don't know. So if they do the scene, if they did, then we'll know exactly what it looked like. Until then, we have <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you still can imagine what that scene is. Imagine Jesus just walking in. He says, comes over here and he goes, and imagine you're going, me and he does it. Right? And there were 12 guys that were chosen to be apostles. There were a bunch of other people there. There were other they, other people that believed in him, embraced who he was, embraced his way, embraced his teaching, took it home with them. Their lives were changing, their families were changing. And they weren't called to be one of the 12. Does that mean Jesus didn't have a call in your life? Is that what that meant? No. no. Like God had a different call in your life, right? Mm -hmm. he, but he had, did he have a call for their life? Yeah, a specific, like something special that he had called them for. There's a great verse in, um, we referred to it last night, but in Ephesians 2, where it says that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. That means to say, like, you were created by God, you were formed in the womb, but you became a new creation when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And you were created for good works that God foreordained for you to walk in. In other words, God has a plan for your life, 
a specific plan for your life that you will never, ever experience until you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you start walking in the very works that God had created you um, for, the very things that you were designed for. And you start walking into those things. Like, God has a, a plan for our life. When Paul was praying for the Philippians, Paul prayed this. He said, he says, this I pray, that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and discernment. And he says, and that you would approve the things that are excellent. You would approve. The word approve is a testing word. Okay? It's a word where we're, we're testing something to see whether it's correct. Okay? Our, our chefs, they know about that, right? We're tasting this and Quite right. <laughs> Not quite right. Right? Ah, we got it. Right? Or they're apparently testing the chicken today. You don't test your chicken that same way, right? You cut it open, it's still pink. <laughs> you don't want pink. Like medium rare chicken is a bad idea. Right? So, right? You're, you're testing something. You have something that you're testing against. And, and so when we are, when Paul's praying that we would test, or we're praying that we would approve the things that are excellent, he's saying that we would. We would have something that we would compare our life to to be able to determine what God's best for our life is. Right? Either God has a best for our life. There's, there's, it's pretty easy as, as a, like as a follower of Jesus, it's pretty easy to determine the difference between bad and good, right? Pretty easy. Like I know, yeah, it's bad. I mean, that's sin, the Bible clearly tells me that's sin, there's no question. It's a little more challenging to determine the difference between good and best, right? I mean, Mary, you remember the story of Mary and Martha? What's Martha doing? Serving. Serving, right? Is that good? Yeah. Yeah. Super good, right? Super good to be doing what Martha's doing. But was it best? Who was doing the best thing? Mary. And where did Mary learn what was best? Just sitting in the feet of Jesus and listening to his word. Right? So, so what we understand about the call of God is that, the, is that God has a call on each of our lives. God has a, has a specific for each of us. It's like, it's like something, it's not just like one thing, but it's, it's the, the life that God wants for us to live, and the way we find it is we sit at the feet of the Lord and we say, God, what's next? What do you have for me? You know, there's there's challenging seasons that we go through where we're, we're confused, we're not sure what to do. And those seasons give us opportunity to sit before the Lord and pray and wait on the Lord. And then here's my, it's one of my favorite things. I told Amanda to do it earlier today. Pray, wait on the Lord, and do whatever you want. Okay, now listen, when I say do whatever you want, it doesn't mean ignore the Bible and be super carnal and Jim told me that was okay. No, but rather... I pray, I get to this point, and I think, well, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. So I'm going to do it, because I think this is what the Lord's telling me to do. I can promise you, on my very best day, my very best day, all I can say is I think the Lord might be telling me to do that. <laughs> okay? And so there's, I haven't, but the sky hasn't, the hand hasn't come in my room and written on the wall. I haven't heard the audible voice of God. So on my very best day, I'm doing what I think the Lord is telling me to do. That's my, my absolute best. But you know, I think I'm in good company. One of the Lord of uh, lesser known characters of the Bible is named Caleb. Remember Caleb? Mm -hmm. What scene is Caleb famous for? 
What's he famous for? Conquering the giants. Yeah, right, right. Conquering the giants on top of the mountain. Right? Yeah, he's an old man. He's he's one of the he's one of only two spies, he and Joshua, who thought it was a good idea to go into the promised land. The others just thought it was a bad idea. And so fast forward, 38 years later, they're in the promised land, and Caleb comes to Joshua and he says, Hey, remember when we were young? <laughs> remember Moses? He told us, and he said, like he said that we could have this land, and he said, he points to this mountain. The, area, the mountain area was the hardest area to conquer. And he said this to Joshua. He said, give me this mountain because it might be the Lord. What did you just say? <laughs> give me this mountain because it might be the Lord? <laughs> I think it would be, give me this mountain because the Lord told me 100% guarantee you're taking the mountain. He's going, no, it might be the Lord. How are you going to find out? Well, we're going to go up the mountain, and if we get whooped, it wasn't the Lord. <laughs> Isn't that exactly what David and his armor bearer did? David says to his armor bearer, hey, I was thinking, since God's God, could God deliver a few people as much as he could with a whole bunch of people? And his armor bearer's like, I think we're having a philosophical discussion here. So, yeah, I think that ideologically speaking, I think that's true. I think that if God's God, he doesn't need a big army. So then Jonathan says, let's go find out. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> again, that might not be in the story. <laughs> but, uh, but the, and, and here's what they do. They say, we're going to go hide behind this rock, and then we're going to stick our head out. And when the Philistines see us, if they say, let's go get those guys, we'll know this isn't the Lord, and they'll run super fast. Like, <laughs> and if they say, come down here, we'll know it's the Lord. Like, like Okay. <laughs> uh, it's, it's their very best of going, I think it might be the Lord. Listen, what it's important for us to understand, God has a call on our life. And that life is God. It's like your call and my call are different. You might you might you know be in the room when Jesus picks somebody to do something, you're like, you think you're gonna pick me? It's like, no, God's got something else for you. Like God has a plan for your life, He wants to work in your life, and as you sit at the feet of Jesus. And you learn what that is, and it's not like one time. Back in 94, I was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and he told me what to do. I haven't talked to him since. Because he told me, no, it's like, it's just a lifestyle. Going, okay, Lord, what do you want? What is it that you want to do with my life? What's next? And, and, and the call of God upon our life. Now, that said, let's keep going. You're listening kind of slowly, so you're going to need to speed up your listening if we're going to get done before the <laughs> uh, Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, you know the hope of his calling. So you've been called to salvation, you've been called to surrender, and you have a specific call of God on your life. And then he says, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Okay, the next thing he prays, that you would know what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, I want you to notice that there's a possessive term in that sentence. There's a, a term of ownership. Okay? Um, and so look at, the, look at the term of ownership. Whose inheritance is he talking about? Who's, whose inheritance? God's. Okay? This is God's inheritance. You see, I want you to know something. I want you to know what God's inheritance is. Now, 
Do you have an inheritance because you put faith in Jesus Christ? Do you have an inheritance because you put faith? Well, let me let me ask you. Maybe maybe you don't know. Okay, maybe you shouldn't. Know, but as a, as as part of a family unit, you probably have some sort of an inheritance, right? You think, gosh, mom, dad, would you stop spending so much? See, nothing left for me. Or whatever. Right? There was this, there was a time when you used to see these massive motorhomes. And on the back bumper stickers that said, spending my children's inheritance. Like, as part of a family, part of that is like, there is some sort of inheritance. Now, it's likely, you know, if, if you're, you know, I'm not looking forward to some big paycheck coming when my mom passes away. I've inherited other valuable things from being part of that family. Okay? Like, there's inheritance. I'm a Gallagher. And so there's, there's things that have been in, in ingrained in me from that. Like they're true of me because of that. And so the same way, because you're a child of God, like there's an inheritance that you have. You received it because you put faith in Christ. In fact, there's a crazy verse, and um, you can ask Zach what it means afterwards, I don't know. Um, but it says that we are joint heirs with Jesus. Which I think what that means, not that Zach, but I think that means that everything that belongs to Jesus, I am somehow a possessor of that. That's incredible. That's my inheritance. Part of that is, is, is the Spirit of God living in me. Part of that is the fruit of the Spirit that is developed within me. Part of that is peace in the midst of chaos and, and, and joy and faith and hope when the world's going crazy. Like That's all part of our inheritance. Um, part of that inheritance is eternal life, right? I mean, Jake was praying about the, the eternal life that we have. Like this, it, this, this life is coming to an end, and we're going to have all of eternity to, to discover all the things that we that we didn't discover about God here. Like, there's part of our inheritance. But whose inheritance is Paul praying about here? Is he praying about my inheritance? Okay, you would know what your inheritance is. He prays that you would know what God's inheritance is. In other words, that what God bought because of the work of the cross. What did God do? Jesus, God sent his son into the world. God, God helped, perhaps... God held back all of the forces of heaven to allow Jesus to suffer on the cross and die for us. And when that happened, what did God get? Where is inheritance? When I was uh, when I was in eighth grade, we had the, there was the the school would do these magazine sales. Did anybody ever like what a magazine is? So, so we'd have these magazine sales, and and uh, you know they they would they kind of force it on all the children, and you know kids would go home and and uh, their parents would take them off to work with them and force it on all their coworkers. You know, that kind of thing. If you if you ever played sports and you had car washes for sports, and your parents did that to their coworkers, right? And uh, so we had these magazine things, and so to try to get incentive when you sold a magazine. You, we get these little scratch-off things. Just teaching kids how to bet and play lottery. And so, <laughs> important things. I went to public school. And so, um, they, that was, you didn't go there, so don't worry about it. But, um, and uh, so you'd scratch it off and you got points. And then you could use these points towards um, towards uh, prizes. That were in so, so I went I sold one magazine. I forced my mom to buy one magazine. My parents were like, I'm not fucking my coworker. So, so I sold one magazine, and I brought it back, and I got the lottery thing, and I scratched it off, and it was like a jumbo super winner. 
Okay, it's like there's like 100 points. So all these kids sell all these magazines getting eight points, two points, 100 points. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so at, the, at the magazine, and the year before when they forced me to sell the magazine, I got enough points to buy a, um, a sugar daddy's are, the candy. Yeah. Oh. So it's like a caramel on a stick. Listen, no lie. I, I got a sugar daddy that was this big. He was on a wooden dowel. <laughs> I had to hit it with a hammer to break off chunks of the crumble. It was unbelievable. It was like a So I see that thing. I could get like 10 of those. But instead, I saw this skateboard. And it was like, oh my gosh, I get a skateboard. I was so excited. It's like this great looking skateboard. And so I get on the skateboard. I use all my points. I'm getting the skateboard. And so then I leave. Months and months and months, and finally the skateboard comes, and I'm so excited I open it up, and it was nothing like the picture. It was a piece of junk. I was so, I was thinking to myself, ten giant sugar daddies. stupid. I was honestly it was useless. Like I skated made ramps at our house, everything, and I'm like, this is a piece of junk. It's absolutely useless. Now, now I'm telling you that for a reason. Okay. Part of it is just to get it off the chest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so a little bitter. That's true. I mean, I'm not. That's true. But um, the other reason is it's like when I look at this passage and I think, like, when Jesus, like, this is God's inheritance, I look and I go, am I that skateboard? He's <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> God looks and he goes, you know, we could have got 10 sugar daddies. <laughs> listen, listen, I want you to understand. Like, we are, God is very happy in his purchase. Do you understand? Like, you you are so precious to him. And, and it's really important, I think, for us to understand the value that God places upon us. I want to talk about two things as it relates to that. Number one, I just want you to understand the value that God places upon us. Um, one of the ways that we can measure the value of a gift is what it costs the giver. Okay? Remember when Jesus pointed out the widow, the widow giving the two mites? And Jesus said that she gave more than everyone else. And Judas looked at her, looked at Jesus and went, good thing I keep the books, right? Because you don't understand the economy. Right? It's that didn't really happen. It's not really in the Bible. But the, but what happened? Like the idea is Jesus is is looking and he's saying, listen, in my economy, she gave more than everyone else because she gave from her her um, she gave of herself, not from her excess. Right? And it was so costly for her. Well, the the price that we look um, at ourselves, the price that God placed upon us. The Bible says God didn't redeem us with corruptible things like silver and gold from our aimless conduct, but he redeemed us with the precious blood of his own son, right? What, what is it that God gave in order to redeem us? The only thing that God couldn't recreate. That's what God gave. If, if, if the Bible said that your value was $10 billion, you might go, wow, evolution teaches me I'm worth like three bucks. And God says I'm worth $10 million. And we might feel pretty good about ourselves. Until we realize God can speak $10 billion into existence without costing him anything. 
God could speak universes of $10 billion, right? Just flowing constantly from him without costing him anything. The only thing that God could give that would be the ultimate cost would be his own son. And so God, like the value that God places upon us is an eternal value. That's the value God places upon us. So it's important, I said I wanted to say two things about it. Number one is that we just understand the cost that God paid to redeem us. The second thing I want to say about it is this. The reason that's important is because everything in life devalues you. Everything in life devalues you. Like you, in, in, you start out in life like you're in the, in the front of the store, right? You're in the display counter. You're the new item of the, of the year that everybody wants. But it doesn't take long for you to be back on the sale rack, 16 for $1.95. Right? That's what that's what life does in school. Right? You're in school and you you're working as hard as you can and you turn your paper in and it comes back with all these red marks all over it. And what happens? You devalue. I'm not a very good student. Right? Or you go out on the playground as a kid. And out on the playground you get picked last. Right? It's like the one-eyed gopher got picked before you did. And you're just going, seriously? Like, I can't like that's a rodent. Seriously, what happened? You got Because <laughs> you guys were kind of concerned, like, is he people rodent gophers? So the um, the idea is is and then as as things you know go on in life, like you you have a crush on somebody and you you really like them and you. You sort of make that, you reach out, and they're completely disinterested in you. And you devalue them. And you go on, you know, you go on into the workplace and you work super hard and you do everything and somebody else gets promoted and you devalue. And then, you know, everything in life is constantly devaluing us. It is so important that we understand our true value. You can't determine your self-worth based upon how well you do in some other venture, you have to determine your self-worth based upon how God views you. God looks at you and says, you're so precious to me that I gave my own son to redeem you and I want to be in a relationship with you. He says, I pray that you would know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, that you matter to God how you important to him. And so don't let the world put your price tag on you. Because if you let the world put your price tag on you, what you're going to do is you're going to sell yourself out cheap. You're going, to, you're, you're going to get in a relationship that is not healthy because you don't think you're worth a relationship that is healthy. And you think, well, I'm going to just I'm going to be with this person because nobody else wants to because I'm more important because I got picked last or I didn't do well at this or I don't look like that. Your value is based upon the way God values you and you're precious to him and you need to understand. You need to know your inheritance in the that you are his inheritance in the saints. Let's keep going. One last thing, we'll wrap up. He says in verse 19, Is it that weren't enough for us to know? He says, And you would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power. What's that next word? Toward. So it's going in direction, correct? So that you would know the exceeding greatness of his power. Toward us who believe.
according to the working of his mighty power, and he's going to go on to describe it. So he says, I want you to know the, I want you to know the, um, we're going to back, we're going to go backwards, okay? I want you to know the power of God. And then he says, I want you to know the greatness of the power of God. And then he says, I want you to know the exceeding greatness of the power of God. There's like the power of God would be enough, right? Is God's power different than human power? Like, I mean, if you just said the power of God, and you've just, you've just basically taken any human power and just said, I'm trumped up. Okay? It's greater than that. Any, any human power. There's some pretty powerful things on our planet, aren't there? I was, um, years and years ago, I was in, uh, I was on a Oahu in Hawaii, and I was standing at a place called Miami Bay, and the, the bay comes in here, like this, a big bay. It's really pretty in the summers. Like, like, oh, how serene and beautiful. In the winter, it's like death trap. And, and the bay goes out like this. And around the corner, there's this little cliff here. There's a church right here on the corner. And I'm standing here, and the waves are twice as big as this top of the ceiling. And and it's it's massive. It's so big, it's closing the whole bay out. It's too big to surf anywhere. And when the waves are breaking, you can feel it. I'm standing on a cliff, and you can feel it. There's so much power in these waves as they're breaking and crashing up against the cliff. That's power, isn't it? It's incredible. You know, there's, there's. Um, we were uh, a few years ago. My wife and I ended up. We were in New York um, speaking at this thing, and the guy says, he says, "Hey, you guys want to go to Niagara Falls?" And I'm like, "That's near here." <laughs> I'm super good at geography. <laughs> so we're like, oh, that's awesome. So we're in, a, we're in this boat down, and we go on the falls, and we take the boat up towards the falls, and the water is coming down with such force that, that the, the, the captain, he's got the, the throttle full forward to keep the boat stable so that we can stand there and take pictures of the falls. Like if he lets the, the throttle off at all, the force of the water is going to push the boat backwards. It's so much power coming off of it. That's powerful. He could have said, hey, I want you to know the power of Niagara. Or I want, to, I want you to know the power of the waves breaking on the North Shore. Or I want you to know the power of a cyclone. Or, but he doesn't. He trumps all of that. He goes, I want you to know the power of God. But then, then he qualifies it. He says, I want you to know the greatness of his power. And he says, I want you to know the exceeding greatness of his power. Like it even goes beyond what you can understand. And then he says this, and that power is towards you. It's towards you. I grew up in Southern California. My dad um, had a sailboat, so I grew up sailing. And uh, sailing is an interesting concept because you're trying to use the wind to move yourself forward. But the wind is not always blowing in the proper direction to get them. Right. So it's like sometimes I want to go that way and the wind is going that way. Okay? So sailors have figured out a way around that. Because you can't sail directly into an oncoming wind. So what you do is you put yourself on what's called a tack. And so I put the boat at this angle. And so the wind's coming this way, the sail's out here, and the sail's catching the wind as it's coming this way. So I head this way for a while, and then I tack. And I head this way for a while. Get this way, and eventually I get that way. Understand? So you, it's the, how you go against the wind. Well, when you're sailing that direction, it's it's a lot slower, and it's super rough. We were sailing one time, and, and it's it's so loud 
trying to sail in that. You, you, you're in this little cockpit. At that time, we were in somebody else's boat. It was a 38-foot boat. And uh, there's four or five of us. And we're in this little cockpit of the boat. And we're yelling as loud as we can to communicate to each other instructions as we're coming, like, you know, ready about. Hey, here we go. You know, and they pull us, get the jet in. Like, it's all this screaming chaos. We're soaking wet. The waves are breaking up over the bow of the boat. It's like chaos because we're trying to go that way and the wind is going this way. So we sailed for like two hours and then we got to this point and we turned the boat around. And we turned the boat around and now the wind is behind us. So now I'm going that way and the wind's going the direction I want to go. And what you do is you kick the sail out like this and it's called running and all the wind is behind you and that totally rough loud ocean that we were fighting against is now pushing us forward. And we literally sat down, had lunch, we're talking quietly, nobody <laughs> mellow, didn't get any more water on us. The sea hadn't changed. It was just as rough as it had been before, but now all that power was pushing us. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I want you to know that when, like, when, you, when you respond to the call of God, and you surrender your life to Christ, and you start walking in the will of God for your life, God's not fighting against you. The power of God is for Like, God wants to propel you into what he's called you to do. Okay? It's, 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 we're no longer fighting against what God's doing. We're now embracing God, and he's propelling us for That doesn't mean all your dreams come true. What it means is that God enables us to do what God's the last thought that I want to throw at you is this. Um, I think, remember that passage where Jesus, or uh, the psalmist says, don't be like the horse or the mule. They have a bit in their mouth so that they can be led. Does anybody remember that passage? Okay. Um, I'm not like our guy. I'm not an equestrian. don't know a whole lot of the difference between horses and mules. But basically... From my cartoon understanding, I think that you put a bit in a horse's mouth for an entirely different reason than you put a bit in a mule's mouth. Right? A horse wants to go, and a mule doesn't want to go. Right? A mule is the, the sort of the, the stigma that a mule gets is they're stubborn. Right? They're not going anywhere. So you've got to get this thing moving. The horse wants to run free, you've got to keep it. And so what the psalmist is saying is, listen, you can't be like the horse who runs off and does whatever it's want. You can't be like the mule who won't do anything. You've got to be the one that allows God to lead and direct you. So here's what I think. I think there's two types of people in the world. There's horses and mules. Okay? There's the type of person that we're a little bit self-reliant, and we think that we can do things and it's like we have to remember, oh yeah, oh God, that's right, I forgot that. Got to rely on God. I went on and did on my own strength. Like there's that guy. And then there's the other guy that's like, I'm going to do anything. Right? I'm a mule. Okay? I'm a mule. But what I've come to realize is that my weaknesses don't weaken God. My inabilities don't make it God any less able. Like I, if God wants me to do something, then I'm able to say, well, I guess the exceeding greatness of your power is toward me because I believe you. And so, Lord, even though I don't think I'm capable of doing that, if you're asking me to do it, God, I can do it.
since the end of the day. And I've, I've been, I got saved in 1983. I started walking with the Lord in, in uh, January of 1986. And uh, I've been serving the Lord uh, since just about that time. And I can tell you that, that it's worked out pretty well for me. I don't, I'm not anymore um, thinking that I can do things on my own now than then. I, but I do know that my limitations don't limit God. If God wants me to do something, then it's like, I guess you think that's a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea. Like, there's still a lot of things that God's asked me to do. I still don't think they're a good idea. You should have somebody else doing it. Try to get people to do it all the time. <laughs> but, but, the, but the idea is like the exceeding rate of, of his power is toward us. If, we, if God's asking us to do something, I don't have to let my limitations in. So, Father, we just want to say thank you. And Lord, getting to be with this group of people is such a blessing for Pete and I. The conversations that we've had, the ones that we've listened in on, uh, we're, such, we're so blessed by. And Lord, as Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers, Lord, I just want to pray for these guys. And I want to ask, Lord, that the eyes of their understanding would be that they would know you more. Lord, thank you that, that each of them is able to, to share things that they've uh, found to be true of you, ways that you've used them. Uh, Lord, I just pray there'd be more. I pray there'd be an appetite for more. And then, God, I pray that they would know what is the hope of their calling. They would know what you've called them to. Lord, those who are in a transition stage in their life right now, one season is coming to a close, and they're stepping into a new season. Lord, would you let them know what is the hope of their calling? Would you give them clarity? And then, Lord, would, for all of them, I pray that they would know the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. They would know how valuable they are to you, that their value would always come from how you view them and not how the world views them or how they measure up to a standard that they set for themselves. And then, Lord, would you fill us all with the exceeding greatness of your power so that we can do whatever it is that you call us to do. And I want to pray especially for, for married couples. And I want to pray, Lord, that that exceeding greatness of your power would enable husbands to be husbands and wives to be wives. And we bless those marriages.